There are three kinds of people in this world. Well poisoners, lawnmowers, and dream builders. Think about that. Well poisoners, lawnmowers, and dream builders. I want to talk about these three types of people today because I think it relates to what we will be able to achieve in the coming years with God's blessings and as laborers together with God here at White Oak. It will depend upon what kind of people we are. Are we well poisoners or are we lawnmowers or, or are we dream builders? I believe that the answer to that will impact greatly what we are able to see occur in terms of positive results with the Lord's blessings in the coming years, the Lord willing together here at White Oak. Think with me about it this morning, seriously and soberly. Who are the well poisoners? When we say there are three kinds of people and one type is the well poisoners, who are the well poisoners? Well, tragically, we first have to answer that question by saying they are the false teachers that are out here in the world. There's no question about the fact that they are well poisoners. They are described for us, for example, in 2 Peter chapter 2. As Peter writes about those, beginning in verse 1, who were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. That's the history, that's the prediction of the future. Peter says there were false prophets among the people in the past, even as there will be false teachers among you. And we see that to be the case tragically in the religious world today and tragically even in the Lord's church. Uh, they have infiltrated the church in many places. He goes on to describe them as those who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Look down at verse 10 of that text in Second Peter 2. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and notice this, and despise authority. We live in a world in which there is a despising of authority and it permeates the world in terms of the, the secular realm and it has infiltrated the body of Christ as well. Verse 18 of 2 Peter 2, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through licentiousness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. There are those among us today who are promising liberty and telling us that you have the liberty to do basically what makes you feel good and that God is going to be pleased with that. If you're feeling good about it, he'll feel good about it. And yet these are destructive heresies. And yet we must see the difference between destructive error and differences that do not destroy. We can have differences of opinion in matters of opinion, in things that do not affect our eternal salvation. And our attitude, therefore, and actions toward non-fatal error, if you will, are different than our attitudes toward fatal error. There are some who, for example, believe that, that when you die, you go directly to heaven. Others believe, and I'm among them, that the spirit goes into the Hadean realm, into either paradise or Tartarus, awaiting the final judgment. 
I'm not going to draw lines of fellowship with a brother who believes that when we die we go directly to heaven versus to the Hadean realm. I don't believe that to be an area that would affect our eternal salvation. There are other areas, of course, about which we could speak. And Paul speaks of this very principle in Romans chapter 14. When he talks about the eating of meats and certain things that are in and of themselves not sinful and yet can become sinful if we divide over them, if we push our opinions to the point of, of division, or if we fail to consider the weaker brother in certain situations and push our opinions in that direction. Romans 14 deals with such things and with our attitudes toward one another, and it's so important that we maintain the proper attitude. But false teachers have an attitude that is repugnant to the God of heaven, and should be to us, and they have an agenda also. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 describes a situation that certainly is relevant to our day and time in verses 13 through 15 of that 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians. As he says, as he says that they are false apostles, verses 13 through 15, deceitful workers, listen to it, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, he adds, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Satan's greatest tool, I believe, is false religion. Satan's greatest tool is wielded by those who come to us under the guise of being angels of light, as it were, teaching truth when in fact they are deceitful workers. And we dare not be oblivious to that if we are going to be what God would have us be here at White Oak or in any other congregation of God's people. We cannot ignore the reality that faces us today in the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 2 is another passage in which Paul writes this. But this occurred because of false brethren. Notice it. False brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. And of course he's talking in this context about bringing people back into the bondage of the law of Moses. To whom, listen to verse 5, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. We did not yield submission to these people even for an hour. And so we do not toy with the modern day change agents who are seeking to destroy the church. We must oppose them. We must oppose them. However, we must maintain a proper Christian spirit in our opposition, even when that opposition is to fatal error. Why? Because souls are at stake. And as we oppose that error, we do not want to oppose it in a way that becomes counterproductive to the very thing we're trying to defeat. And so we must make sure that our attitudes are as God would have them to be. Remember Aquila and Priscilla, as they took Apollos aside and taught him the way of the Lord more accurately there in Acts 18 because he was teaching only the baptism of John. That's a beautiful example of how to approach one who obviously was receptive to being approached and appreciated the correction. We have no indication otherwise that he did not. 
And certainly we need to approach anyone with the proper Christian spirit, but approach them nonetheless when error is involved. Because one of the well poisoners in that category, in the category of well poisoners, we find the false teachers, even those many in the church today, tragically. If we're to be the church that God would have us be here at White Oak, then we must never take lightly the error that confronts us and make sure that we insulate the membership here against that error and instruct and teach and prepare and make aware those who are of our number the danger that lies in the deceitful workers even among God's people today who are false brethren who would not bring us under bondage to the law of Moses as the Galatian situation dictated, but they would seek to tell us you don't have to be under bondage to any law, basically, many of them would. And that the law of Christ doesn't really matter anymore. And so you can bring in the instrument of music. You can bring in what is called contemporary worship. You can alter the pattern of the New Testament because really there never has been a pattern. And they would be among those who would accuse us of being pattern theologists when there is no definitive pattern to be found in the New Testament. We must know and realize otherwise and teach otherwise and oppose those who would not hold to the pattern of sound words as Paul urged Timothy to do. Why would he urge Timothy to hold to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus if there is no pattern to which we should hold? The Bible is replete with information that tells us there is a specific pattern for the New Testament church, and we dare not deviate from that pattern. But let me bring up someone else who's a well poisoner, the one who has not obeyed the gospel. If you're here this morning, and I say this as kindly as I know how, if you're here this morning and you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, then you have to be among the well poisoners. Why? Because your influence is being used against rather than for the church for which Christ shed his precious blood. And that's poisoning the well. You have refused the living water about which Jesus spoke in John 4 to the woman at the well, for example. You have refused the living water and you have chosen to continue to drink from the wells of the world rather than from the wells of the word. The all-sufficient word, which tells you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Repent of your sins. Confess him to be the Christ. Be buried with him for ba in baptism for the remission of sins. That you might be added to his church, his kingdom. And no longer be a poisoner of the well, but a drinker of the living water that comes through the living Christ. Let me mention someone else. Wayward children of God are well poisoners. There's no question about it. If one who has not obeyed the gospel is a poisoner of the well, then one who has obeyed but is turned back to the world is also among the well poisoners. Listen to Peter, a very familiar text. We've looked at it often. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse. 
for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them never to have known, not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Here's the description, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. What a description. Who would contend that the wayward children of God are not well poisoners in light of that kind of description that Peter by inspiration gives? Again, those who are wayward have turned their backs upon the living water. As Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, as we mentioned a moment ago. The wayward child of God has done what Jeremiah described about God's people of old. Well, God really through the prophet said it. My people, my people have committed two evils. Two evils, he said. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn them out cisterns that can hold no water. It's a picture of stagnancy, a picture of a stagnant water. They have forsaken me. God says they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have preferred instead a stagnant cistern. Not only stagnant, but leaking that can hold no water. What a choice. What a choice to make. The thought of a stagnant cistern Versus the living water. Why would one choose? Why would one choose that stagnant, leaking cistern of the world? But the thought of that leads to a consideration of our next group of people. From the well poisoners to the lawnmowers. Who are the lawnmowers? The lawnmowers are content. The lawnmowers are content with the status quo. Emphasizing the physical over the spiritual. Buildings may be a means to an end for, for the lawnmowers. And being content to have a good facility, a, a facility that's paid for perhaps, uh, a place where people can come. Here we are, come. But we have to keep things in perspective. We need a commodious place in which to worship and to meet and to carry on the Lord's work, but things have to be kept in perspective and it is the gospel not gymnasiums that need to be drawing people to the Lord if I am lifted up from the earth Jesus said I will draw all peoples to myself and yet in some places in the church we see an emphasis on the social rather than the spiritual and it is good to be together socially we've said that before and we enjoy that here but we always keep in mind that our primary responsibility is not social, but spiritual. Hebrews 10.24 reminds us, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, verse 25, as the custom or manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so the lawnmowers are, are those who are content with the status quo, emphasizing the social over the spiritual. But the lukewarm are lawnmowers. Those who are lukewarm, they may attend some, but they will not commit to reaching the lost or edifying the saved. 
or to restoring the wayward or to being the kind of example by their efforts and attendance that they need to be. But the lukewarm need to remember the words of Jesus. And we've quoted them often from Matthew 12, 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who gathers not with me is what? Scattering abroad. No neutrality, no lukewarmness where the Lord is concerned. In Revelation chapter 3, remember, beginning at verse 14, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, you remember them? What was their problem? Cold. No. Too hot? No. Lukewarm. Lukewarm. And Jesus said, Because you are neither cold nor hot, verse 15, I could wish that you were cold or hot, so that because you are lukewarm, verse 16, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Lawnmowers, are they any more pleasing to God than the well poisoners. In fact, they may be more repugnant to the Son of God because of the very verses we've just read from Revelation 3, 14, and beyond. But now finally, on a positive note, let's talk about the dream builders. Who are the dream builders? They're the ones who please God. It's been said, the poorest man is not he who is without a scent, but he who is without a dream. We need to be dream builders. It's also been said that the best way to make a dream come true is to wake up. If you want to make your dream come true, wake up. It'll never come true if you don't wake up. And God himself is a dream builder. And we've talked about it in the past, revealing his dream to us. Remember in 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's God's dream that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and we can be a part of that dream. And God acted upon that dream, if you will, because he sent his only begotten son to make that dream a reality for all who would become part of his family. And you know, the dream we're talking about now is a family dream, isn't it? It's not my dream, it's not the elder's dream, it's not the deacon's dream, it's not a few of the members' dream, or shouldn't be, but it is a family dream for the family of God as a whole. The story is told of a minister who dreamed that he was hitched to a covered wagon, and he was laboriously but slowly pulling it along until he reached a place in the road where the mud seemed to get deeper and so it was much more difficult as he moved the wagon just a few inches at a time and he thought it was strange that he was having that much trouble because the last time he had looked back he thought he saw the entire congregation pushing. But then the longer and harder he pulled the more difficult it became to move the wagon and finally he was just almost exalted, exhausted. He went to the rear of the wagon to see what the source of the trouble was and every member of the church had quit pushing, and not only had they quit pushing, they had climbed into the wagon, and they were sitting there criticizing the preacher because he wasn't pulling fast enough. Was that really a dream? 
in places it's not a dream, it is a reality. We dare not let that be the case here. We must not let it become the case here. We've got to continue to be dream builders. And I believe we have elders with great vision. And I believe we have members. Is everyone as excited about the dream of God here as everyone else? Well, no, maybe not, based upon some things we see. But, but I do think we're blessed with a great many people who are, and hopefully others who will become more dream builders while time and opportunity is theirs. The Bible is a book about dreams, isn't it? When you think about it. What did Paul write in Philippians 3, 13 and 14? Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are before, I press toward the goal of the upward call of God and prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing toward the goal. That was his determination. That was his dream to have that ultimate prize. And in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, he was nearer to that reality than he had ever been. And he knew that and he said, I fought a good fight, finished the course, kept the faith. I know there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me at that day and not to me only, but also to all them that what? Have loved his appearing. And who are those who have loved his appearing? They're the dream builders. They are those who are participants in the family dream. Remember 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And then he adds, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you've got that hope in you, you're among the dream builders. And you're looking forward to that time. When the dream of heaven will no longer be a dream, but a reality, a reality. And while we await that dream, that dream's becoming a reality, we should desire to share that dream of heaven with all the world. To do everything in our power to share that dream of heaven with all the world. But before we'll do that, it has to first become our dream. You don't share something like that with others if it's not yours to begin with. Hebrews 11 is a chapter that is filled with dream builders. Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses. And look with me at verse 13 of Hebrews 11. And then... Verse 16, verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. The dream had not become a reality, in other words. They died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's a confession that everyone needs to make with the deepest conviction he can possibly muster that I, as a Christian, am a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth. 
and believe that with all of our hearts. And if we do, the world will not overcome us, we'll overcome it. Verse 16, but now they desire, they dream about, if you will, a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God is not ashamed to be called the God of the dream builders, and it is for the dream builders that he has prepared that city. We have to make sure that we are among those dream builders. People have dreamed, and they have made those dreams become reality. It started like so many evenings, mom and dad at home and little Jimmy playing after dinner. Mom and dad were absorbed with jobs and they didn't notice the time and it was a full moon and some of the lights seeped through the windows and the mom glanced at the clock and said, Jimmy, Jimmy, it's time for you to go to bed. Go up now and I'll come up and settle you later. And unlike usual, Jimmy went straight upstairs. No argument, no hesitation, just shot straight up the stairs to his room. About an hour later, his mother came up to check if all was well, and to her astonishment, found that her son was sitting there quietly, staring out of the window at the moonlit scenery. What are you doing, Jimmy? He said, I'm looking at the moon, Mommy. She said, well, it's time to go to bed now. And as Jimmy reluctantly settled down, he said, you know, Mommy, one day I'm going to walk on the moon. Who could have known that that little boy in whom the dream was planted that night would survive a near-fatal motorbike crash which broke almost every bone in his body and would bring to fruition that dream 32 years later when James Irwin stepped onto the moon's surface just one of 12 representatives of the human race who have done so. Dream. This world is not my home, we sing. I am just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We need to sing that song and live that song in terms of the sentiment that it contains. You see, the well poisoners and the lawn mowers, unless they change, are not going to reach that heavenly country. Why? Because their treasures are not laid up somewhere beyond the blue. They don't have any treasure there. Jesus said, what? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Lay up not for yourselves treasures on the earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break through and steal. And then that statement for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The well poisoners and the lawnmowers don't have treasures there. The dream builders do. The well poisoners crucified Jesus Christ. The lawnmowers stood by and let it happen. 
But the resurrection of Jesus Christ has produced generation after generation of dream builders. And many of them are right here in this audience this morning. What about you? Can that be truthfully said of you individually? You see, it's not enough to simply be a part of a congregation that may be characterized as being a dream-building congregation. The question has to be answered individually. And if you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ this morning, no matter how good your intentions are, you're still poisoning the well. And good intentions will not suffice. Remember last Sunday's sermon, which began with 24-year-old Kimberly Duncan, who was easing or seeking to ease the anxiety of her father as he was about to walk her down the aisle, 24 years old, and she said, Daddy, it's going to be okay. And those were the last words she ever spoke. And they buried her in her wedding dress. Was she married when they buried her? No. Remember those questions we asked? Good intentions do not move you from being a well poisoner to a dream builder. Only good actions. Belief that leads you to repent of your sins, confess Jesus to be the Christ and to be buried with him in baptism. Then you can leave the group called the well poisoners. And you can become a part of the dream builders. And we plead with you to do that this morning. If you've left those ranks, you know that it cannot be accurately said of you this morning, I'm a dream builder. And it cannot be accurately said of you because you have strayed and have not manifested and demonstrated a strong, active, obedient faith as a member of the Lord's body and need to come home to your first love in repentance as we pray with you and for you so that once again you may leave here as a part of the family dream, the family dream, to share that family dream with as many people as you can as long as you live that dream of heaven. If you need to respond in that way, we plead with you to do that. And for all the dream builders here who need no visible response at all because you are dream builders, may you never lose sight of the importance of maintaining that vision and that dream and keeping that dream alive and looking to the future as to what with God's help and God's blessings can be accomplished before dream becomes reality for you. As we stand to sing, will you become?